The following audio is brought to you by Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. More information about our church can be found at emmanueltuscaloosa.org. Well, tonight is going to be a little different than what we normally do on most nights, what has been sort of tradition around here. Um, for the last few years is after going to the convention, coming back, and then kind of debriefing for you all the things that happened at the convention. I don't want this to be boring. That's not my goal. Uh, and if you get bored with Baptist life, I'm sorry, but that's kind of the nature of it. We are a Southern Baptist church. And part of what that, there's a lot that that means and we're going to talk about in just a minute. But part of that is that we give money to the cooperative program. And as such, 1% of our budget goes, goes out from here, goes to the cooperative program, and it does a number of different things uh, when, it, when it goes there. And as by virtue of us sending money in, we are able to send messengers to the convention and vote on certain things, policies, motions, actions that are taking place with that money. And so as a result of that, I want you to be in full understanding of what's going on so that we know if we want to continue doing that. All right. Now, I, I, that, I think that's an option every year for every Southern Baptist church, that they, we should reevaluate that every year to make sure that that is the best thing that we could possibly do with that 1% of our budget. Uh, I will say up front that this is the most encouraged I've been in probably the last five years or more going to the Southern Baptist Convention, which is a good thing. It was a tremendously good thing. Uh, I needed some encouragement going to the Southern Baptist Convention. This was probably the first year in a long time that I've been dreading going, uh, but it was, it was encouraging. So the, I want to do a couple things. We're not going to go through item by item on this handout. There's a lot of stuff in this packet. This is mostly for you to take home, but we are going to go through the highlights of this, and I want to help you, if I can, understand it. Now, I don't want to take for granted that everyone in here understands how the SBC works, how the Southern Baptist Convention works. I think every year I ha that I have sought to explain the Southern Baptist Convention, I have had at least one person go, I had no idea that's how this whole thing works. All right. So I think it's worth it to just unpack it, remind some of you of how it works, just so that we're all on the same page. A few things. First, the Southern Baptist Convention exists for two days a year, all right? As of this moment, the Southern Baptist Convention poofs out of existence, okay? Doesn't exist. Not a thing right now, okay? And I know some of you are like, wait, what? Yes, doesn't exist. It exists two days out of the year, and it's those two days where all the churches come together and convene. That is the Southern Baptist Convention. After they stop convening, which is, I'm not convening anymore. Once they stop convening, it no longer exists. It's out of existence. Okay. Um, and the purpose for that convening is to basically allocate money. That is the purpose. We come together two days out of the year to determine what to do with the money in the cooperative program. Set budgets. Put people in charge of certain things over that money. Set agendas for the money to do whatever it does, right? So basically, you and I, as a collective church, 
we have decided to take 1% of our money, we send it to the cooperative program. That means that we give it to Nashville and we say, do with it what we told you to do with it back in June. All right? They take that 1%, they divide it up amongst all the things that we told them to divide it up on, and they start doing it. Right? And so the Southern Baptist Convention is literally that. That's it. Okay? Now, churches that are in friendly cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention then send messengers to vote on specific calls to action. So that's what we're doing there. We're, we're going, I don't want to do this, I want to do that. And if you can persuade enough people to do that, well then we do that and we don't do this. Make sense? Super easy. Okay, so far so good. All right. Um, so technically speaking, now this is where we get into your, I uh, have a feeling, we're going to go, what? Technically speaking, there is no Southern Baptist Church. All right? With me so far? Instead, we are churches that are in friendly cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention. Okay? We call each other Southern Baptist. We're a Southern Baptist church. What we mean is we are a church that, is, that gives money to the cooperative program. In other words, when we talk about how we do missions... When we say we're a Southern Baptist church, that tells you how we do missions. What do you mean? Well, if you have an independent Baptist church, what they're telling you is the word Baptist means we baptize by immersion once someone confesses Christ. We don't baptize as babies. That's what that tells you, Baptist. Okay? Independent Baptist means we don't take our missions money and combine it with another church and vote on how to spend that money. When you say that we are a church that's in friendly cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention, what you're telling people is, we are a Baptist church who then takes our money, missions money, combines it with other churches, and determines where that money goes. Does that make sense? Okay. So, what that, the difference there, the distinction of we're a Southern Baptist church versus we are a church in friendly cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention, the difference is, one says the Southern Baptist Convention tells us what to do. The other says we tell the convention what to do. Does that make sense? So, so the, the, the way we're organized is technically what they call bottom-up, which is the churches down here work up to collect the money together and then disperse it. So we're, we're an autonomous church. No one tells us what to do. We determine what we want to do as a church. And then we tell the convention what, what we want done. And if we collect enough people that are on our side, then that's what gets done. Does that make sense? Everybody with me so far? Okay. Um, the last thing that you need to understand, almost no one understands that. <laughs> okay? <laughs> so, when you read articles online about things that happened at the convention... Stuff like that. If it didn't come from Baptist Press, baptistpress.com is the official publishing arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. Okay? So if you didn't read it there, the chances that the writer of that article understands how the SBC works and re is reporting it correctly is almost nil. All right? 
So it's very difficult when you read articles about the SBC to understand what actually happened in the room and why it happened that way. Okay? So you just need to wrap your mind around that and settle on that fact. Okay. While you're at the convention, there's two things that you got to remember that happen, okay, at the convention. These are probably the two biggest things that take place. One is a whole set of resolutions, okay? A resolution is a statement. It's an expression of opinion that the people who gathered in that room said on that day, at that time, and believed at that moment. Resolutions mean absolutely nothing. All right? All they give you a glimpse into is what the guy or lady, man or woman, who made that resolution thought at that moment and how he or she got enough people to, to raise their yellow ballots and vote. You want to know a secret about resolutions? Almost no one knows unless you're in the room. Typically, all the voting on resolutions comes at the very end when half the people have already left to catch a flight and most everybody else is hungry and ready to leave. All right? So this is a dirty little secret inside the SBC, okay? And they do this because they know the resolutions mean bupkis when it comes to actual action. It doesn't mean anything. You can have an opinion on blue mailboxes and say nobody should paint their mailboxes blue, be it resolved. And everybody goes, amen, let's go have dinner, right? It means absolutely nothing. It doesn't do anything. It's not binding on anybody or anything. It doesn't change a cotton-picking thing. Okay. A resolution might, might be something like, um, okay, whereas racism is evil, whereas the Bible says racism is bad, be it resolved that we are against racism. Now, they'd be sometimes a little longer than that, but that's basically the idea how they flow. And so you're going, do I agree? Racism's evil? Here, here, right? What happens, though, two weeks after the convention, a whole bunch of people come, comb back through all the resolutions, all the statements, and they find a phrase or a clause that was worded poorly, and they go, look at this! See this statement? They're for racism! <laughs> you know, or something... You know, they, either they twist the word, or maybe the statement was just poorly written, and nobody in the convention, because we're all ready to go, we're paying that close attention. Here's another dirty little secret. We don't really get the resolutions until we get there. I suppose you could go online, and you may be able to find them and print them off, but you really don't get them until you walk in the room on Tuesday morning. Well, we vote on them Wednesday afternoon. And you've got so much other stuff going on, book of reports, you've got all these kinds of things that you're reading and you're paying attention to that actually make a difference. That by the time you get to the resolution, sometimes you haven't even read them. And so you've you got your book and you're like combing through them really fast and you're trying to do this. And they're like, you've got 20 seconds. And if there's not a debate on the floor about the resolution, I, this comma should be in a different place. You don't really have much time to read them, especially if they're very long. And so there's a host of times where Baptists will vote on things, to affirm things, to really get through this and just trust, it's fine, yeah, I'm sure it's, it's okay. And not take the opportunity to just comb through it statement by statement. Another little, the last little thing on resolution. <laughs> Some people will get up and argue over the placement of a period 
or a comma, and that will only make the situation worse. They'll go, actually, this is grammatically, this is a poorly worded sentence, and it should be like this. And by the time everybody talks about it, I think we should amend it this way and change it this way, you're like, just vote on the thing already, right? So by the time you get through 20 resolutions like that, you're kind of at your wit's end, all right? Your patience is worn out, okay? So you just need to know that whatever you read in resolutions, it was a statement at that time, and it, it's on the record, yes, Southern Baptists have some terrible resolutions over the last 150 years. I would encourage you not to go look at all of them, all right? <laughs> because some of them are egregious. But they tell you what that convention thought at that moment at that time. They don't necessarily tell you everything, the whole story. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing about uh, the convention is uh, motions. So there's resolutions, and then there's motions. Motions actually have teeth. You are advocating, you are saying, we as a convention need to move somewhere. In other words, we need to do something. You can do a whole lot with motions. You can change the entire way Southern Baptists operate by a motion. When we convene in here on, on members' meetings, motion, we're not coming together for ideas. We are coming together to move the body in a certain direction. I move that we, blah, 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 blah. If you notice, anytime I present to you a motion, I'll say, I move that we change the bylaws, what we just did recently. I move that we X, Y, or Z. And the body says, I second that. I vote in favor. We, after some debate, and it's, we're, it's done. It's changed, right? So this convention works the same way. When you move something, it can actually change. So what we're going to look at today are two things. First, I want to do just briefly go through the three issue, three biggest issues that were on the table as we were going into the convention. So we knew about this weeks ahead, sometimes months ahead, sometimes even back as far as the previous year, we knew these things were on the table and they were coming. Okay, so just to kind of prepare you for what, what happened while we were there. All right, so the issues coming in. First was something that is, has been poorly abbreviated uh, and is probably poorly named, uh, A-R-I-T-F, uh, the Abuse Reform Implementation Task Force, okay, which sounds a lot more, uh, you know, powerful than probably it really is, but the, um, the Abuse Reform uh, Implementation Task Force is something that was formed out of a previous task force to investigate sexual abuse within Southern Baptist Convention entities. So we, come, we pull our money together and we fund six seminaries, all the missionaries that go out from the International Mission Board, which is a Southern Baptist Mission Board, all the missionaries that are sent out to all the nations are all entirely funded by the cooperative program. That's part of the reason we pool our money together. So an independent Baptist church could give maybe a portion of their money to a missionary that goes to, let's say, goes to Africa, okay? So you send this missionary on and you give maybe $200 a month to this missionary in Africa. That missionary in Africa is then going around and raising money to, the, to other churches, maybe to other people, sending letters and doing, spending some of their time at home fundraising and some of their time on the mission field. Uh, for the International Mission Board, we fully fund all of our missionaries. So when they go out, their salaries are entirely paid. 
their housing is paid. Uh, so all of that is, is paid for out of the funding of the cooperative program, right? So we contribute 1% of our budget, but a host of other people are contributing portions of their budget, and together we're funding over 4,000 missionaries globally, right? So we feel like, just strategy-wise, it's a better strategy. Okay, uh, and that's debatable, I get it. But the point is, what we're looking at is the funding that goes out into these entities, uh, the executive committee, the six seminaries, the uh, International Mission Board, uh, churches that are planted around the nation, all those people get money from that cooperative program. And there has been, over the course of uh, some years now, some uh, sex abuse that has happened within churches that are in friendly cooperation and within some entities and some people that were over those entities had heard those reports and sometimes it seems uh, allegedly sought to cover some of those sex abuse crimes up. Or perhaps not do enough about the abuse that was happening. And this has been going on for this has been going on for many years and it just came to light over the last few. And as a convention, the messengers that come have said, this is where the motions come into play, have said, we're not going to do this anymore. We're just going to take a big old flashlight and shine it on the whole thing. And if we don't like what comes up, well, then we don't like what comes up. We're just going to have to clear it, clean it out, right? And we're just going to have to do the hard work of doing that. And that was met with a lot of resistance at previous conventions, which is why I went into a lot of them not optimistic, okay? And so over the last couple of years, there was uh, uh, some reform, some motions that went under that said, we, we're going to appoint a task force to go through and figure out what all this stuff is. Just shine a light on it. Figure out what it is. Then, they're going to consult with a group who is going to tell them what the best steps would be to lead to reform, to actually reform the process. Okay? And so the, the ARITF, the, the Abuse Reform Implementation Task Force, has been now charged with taking the... the the recommendations and implementing those reforms in, a, in and across Southern Baptist churches. This is why to explain how the Southern Baptist Convention works, because this is where the resistance is. We are the churches who contribute to the fund. You don't tell us what to do, we tell you what to do. Okay, well what about when the churches that are coming to the table who tell us what to do are the ones that are corrupt to the hilt? What do you do then? What do you do about the church that goes in and, say, and says, this person on our staff has been committing sexual abuse crimes and we've just been covering up because they're on staff and we don't want to fire them? What do you do? Do you say, well, you get to vote on where to send our missionaries. You get to vote on what kind of churches are planted. You get to vote on what's taught in our seminaries. You get to vote on how the money is allocated. Do you trust the person to allocate money that's doing that? I don't think so, but we're a bottom-up organization. The top can't really tell the bottom what to do. You see the problem? This is where the resistance is. This is what we're still working out as a convention. It's messy, trust me, okay? But the point is that that is what the uh, Sex Abuse Task Force has been uh, set to do, uh, imp is implementing those things. The, the second thing that was big, and this is, this is probably, I'm sure all of you heard about this one, 
mainly because of its most prominent uh, uh, thorn in the flesh. Um, what was I saying? Um, the second one was women as pastors and there was a question uh, so so fancy words complementarianism versus egalitarianism complementarianism says the two sexes complement one another God created them both equal in quality you know, equal in design, but different in responsibility. Gave to them each different task. As an example, in spite of what our culture might say, men are not given the task of having babies. Right? That's one easy one that we can see that apparently the rest of the world is blind to. But the point is, right, that's one of those kinds of assignments. So then the question is, as a, as a convention of churches... Are we a complementarian convention that says men are, some men are given a task of being elders, overseers, pastors of a congregation? And, or are we an egalitarian convention, meaning men and women can both teach, shepherd, oversee an entire congregation equally, Right? So that is the question that's on the table. And then second to that, so that, that's part of it. There are probably a few churches, comparatively, there's 47,000 SBC churches, okay? They're, they're roughly. There's probably 1,700 of those that would be firmly egalitarian. Let's say men and women, they can do the pulpit, they can do everything, right? All equally. There is, the vast majority of them are complementarian, Okay? That there's two different roles. Then there's a group in the middle that is probably the hardest to fight against, honestly. Um, because that group in the middle says, I'm complementarian, but I'm okay if an egalitarian wants to contribute money to the, to the convention and then vote on where to send missionaries and things like that. You see that? That's a different group, Right? I'm complimentarian, but, I, but they're okay with me being at, the, I'm okay with them being at the table, okay? So then the question is, are we as a convention okay with egalitarians being at the table, right? Okay, so that's the question coming in, and th- this kind of goes back a little bit of the ways, but the most famous example of this was Saddleback Church. Pastor Rick Warren is retiring, and to replace himself as pastor of Saddleback, he replaced himself with a husband and wife couple. And that is probably the biggest thing that sort of pushed the boulder over the hill and just got it rolling. Because everybody was like, time out, they're a Southern Baptist church, we're a complimentary con- uh, uh, convention, and they're not welcome at the table. And that started a whole big conversation where last year, Warren got up and he was allowed to give an address to the entire convention and he said... Hey, fine. You don't want to be egalitarian? That's fine. I'm not asking you to be egalitarian. I just don't think you should kick egalitarians out. And he made his argument for why he's egalitarian, made no scriptural sense. And then kind of went on. So what really complicated matters is on page two, if you just want to look here in your handout on page two, um, the credentials committee, which 
basically has the authority to recommend to the convention that we remove somebody from the, from the Southern Baptist Convention. The Credentials Committee stepped up, this is last year, stepped, stepped up to the microphone through their chairwoman and said, it is the unanimous opinion of the Credentials Committee that the majority of Southern Baptists hold to the belief that the function of lead pastor, elder, bishop, or overseer is limited to men as qualified by Scripture, and that this was the intended definition of office of pastor as stated in Article 6 of the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. The Credentials Committee has found little information evidencing the convention's belief regarding the use of the title of pastor for staff positions with different responsibility and authority than that of lead pastor. Okay, this is what got a round of boos. <laughs> was, was this statement right here. But what do you feel... So if a church out there has a children's minister that the colloquial term they've used is children's pastor. And on the website, it's children's pastor. And it's Susan Johnson, okay? A, a lady. What do you do about that? If you were to talk... If you were sitting down and talk with the pastor... The, lead, the head pastor, senior pastor, he would say, no, no, she's, she's, she works with the children, you know, which in Scripture is absolutely permitted. Or woman's pastor, right? She's a pastor of the women's ministry. She's pastoring women. Is that okay? Well, they have the term pastor, but is it okay? How do we do, what do we do with that? And so uh, that, basically what happened at the end of last convention was they took the can of women in the pastorate and went, <laughs> just kicked it down the road <laughs> and said, we'll deal with that another time. And everybody left the convention like this. <laughs> Smoke coming out of our ears <laughs> uh, because we had to deal with a bunch of resolutions at the, end of the, at the end of the last convention that didn't mean anything and everybody was really mad about that. Um, so, and, and, and last year we had a whole big thing about we, we know what it means, everybody in here knows what it means, how come you don't know what it means, this should be relatively simple. So, all of that was a big deal coming into the convention. The last thing is, over the last few months, what transpired is a pastor in Virginia named Mike Law brought forward an amendment to the Constitution of the SBC that says, uh, I'll read it here, it's on page 3, midway, an amendment to the SBC Constitution, Mike Law, uh, the amendment said, A church is in friendly cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention, which affirms, appoints, or employs only men as any kind of pastor or elder as qualified by Scripture. So, Mike's, uh, and we, we know Mike, we like Mike, okay? We like Mike. Uh, Mike came in and said, let's just put it in the Constitution, and let's just end this right here. Right? So if you do have women's pastor, we'll just change that title real fast. Right? And all is good. But if you don't change the title real fast, we know exactly where you stand. You know, it becomes pretty clear at that point, right? Um, and so that was the, the. So going in, those three things were the biggest. What are we going to hear about with this ex abuse? We need to be updated on what's going on there. We got the Saddleback Church and a few other churches like Saddleback. Going into the convention, the executive committee had already removed Saddleback from, from, the, from the Southern Baptist Convention, friendly cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention. 
So, and they did that on purpose so that the churches had an opportunity to appeal, and the appeal process meant that they get a chance to speak to the convention as a whole, and if the churches that are there in the convention say, we agree with Rick Warren, he stays in, and they override what was done by the executive committee and the credentials committee. Okay? Clear on that? But if the convention says, we agree with the credentials committee and the executive committee, bye-bye. Okay? Unless you change and want to come back in after that. Okay, so what actually happened when we got there? And we'll go through these relatively quickly. Uh, so the Abuse Reform Implementation Task Force uh, basically received a vote of confidence that said that they proposed to us, they made a motion that we be given, they have to come back to us every year. And every year they have to say, this is what we need. And if you want us to keep going, just say yes, basically. And if you don't, say no and we'll be done. Okay, so they said, look, there, we, we really think it's wise to put together a website, a database, that when church, before churches hire, even accept a member into membership, can search this database where people who have a history of sex abuse will be registered. And you can see that more than something that a background check might find, because what happens here is there's a little secret about backgrounds and all this kind of stuff somebody registers as a sex offender, there's normally a time limit on that. So you get a person who's registered in a database, sex offense, and they have maybe a sign in their front yard, and they go on a website. They can age out of that sign process and age off that website. So at some point, they stop being in the registry. Okay, so we can debate about the justice system all day long, but that's how the justice system operates at this point. So, do we say as a church, that's okay in the children's building? Or do we say, perhaps, yes, there's forgiveness in Christ, but we don't, we don't want to put an alcoholic in a, in, a, in a beer factory either, right? We just don't. I mean, it's just a plain matter of fact. We, there has to be some measure of, of reform, right, that has to take place. Okay, so... They come, to, they come to us and they say, look, to implement it and to really think through all the legal ramifications and all that, we need, another, we need at least another year to do that. And so they pretty much got that. Now, here's the issue, and I want you to see this on page three, uh, the second little item here. Um, it says, it's the first that's indented. It says, there is much debate around the words credibly accused. Because what, what the... Abuse Reform Implementation Task Force is trying to do is say, we want anybody on that database that is credibly accused of sex abuse. So, which leads to the question I'm sure all of you have. What does it mean to be credibly accused? Because I remember as far back as uh, an instance that happened with the Duke lacrosse players, if you remember that several years ago, where they were falsely accused of a crime, and they were hung out to dry. They were, uh, I think they got kicked out of college. I think some employers, future employers, didn't want to hire them. All this kind of stuff, and it turns out it was all a lie, right? It didn't actually happen. So when you say credible accusation, what is it that you mean? And so they, that was a question proposed to the, uh, uh, before we voted, and this is what they said. A credibly accused pastor, denominational worker, or ministry employee or volunteer includes one who has confessed in a non-privileged setting, that means not just with a lawyer, 
who has been convicted in a court of law or who has had a civil judgment rendered against them. Additionally, an independent third party who has been hired by any church or Baptist body may determine by preponderance of evidence following an inquiry that a pastor, denominational worker, ministry, employer, volunteer, is credibly accused. A preponderance of evidence is the legal standard required for civil judgment. So, that's meant to say what happens if they have committed this abuse, but the person didn't file it in a court of law. Or the statute of limitations ran out, and they couldn't do anything about it. Then what happens? What if they're still guilty of this, and we can see, based on the evidence, they are guilty of this, based on the evidence is determined in the first little bullet point there. What happens if we can determine that, but it's past the statute of limitations, so a civil court or a, a, a whatever magistrate of some kind has not been able to rule because the lawsuit wasn't filed. Do you track what I'm saying? So what do you do then? So the, the, the statement is someone who is credibly accused has either had a third-party investigation and they found all the things that a trial would find, or they have actually been tried and accused and have been found guilty of this, of this trial. And, and so what, what are we going to do about that? Church, churches need to know about that. Who's going to go on this database? And that was, that's the answer. Um, so that is obviously the question. It's a big concern. And the, the committee has said, we're going to try to put this website up. And we're also got, we've also got more legal things to think through and to, before we begin implementing in the full. Right? So we want another year. And so they were given another year. Now, I want you to see some of this. And this is on your handout. This is on page four, I think. Um, which is sobering when you look at it. There's more things like this that would be really sobering. Two out of three sexual assaults go unreported. Okay? Uh, so think about that. Out of every 1,000 sexual assaults, only 25 if offenders will ever be convicted. A male abuser who molests boys has an average of 150 victims before he's ever caught. A male abuser who molests girls has an average of 52 victims before they're ever caught. And only 16% of child victims ever tell about their abuse. So, when you're looking at that, and you know some of that goes on in churches, with people that they trust, these kids trust. We can be better than that, right? We should be. We got to do it smartly. We can't be stupid about it, and we can't go accusing people falsely. We don't want that either. But we can, we can be diligent about it, you know. And and so, uh, there's been a lot of debate around it. There's been a lot of a lot of reporting out there that's just fire, and I would just encourage you to stay away from it, honestly. Um, it, it, it's not helpful. A lot of the debate that's going on, all the people talking about, well, then this is going to happen, and then this is going to happen, and then this is going to happen. You can change a lot of that too, right? There's always going to be fallout. You're pushing pendulums. They don't ever stop swinging, right? So you're going to push the pendulum, and it's going to swing back the other way, and eventually it's going to go too far, and you're going to have to get on the other side, and you're going to have to swing it back the other way, Right? always. So, but does it mean you shouldn't push it at all, right? Okay, well, we can debate that another day. Um, the disfellowshipping of other, other churches, especially when it comes to female pastors, 
uh, came down to two churches that appealed. There were six churches that were kicked out. Two churches that had female pastors appealed the decision and made a pitch to the congregation, one of which was this man, Rick Warren. I tried to find the most flattering picture I could. <laughs> I want you to listen to the, this is both the appeal and then the rebuttal from Al Mohler, who basically explained what's happening. So I want you to hear this. I'm going to play the whole video. Okay, it's like six minutes. All right. For 178 years, the SBC has been a blend of at least a dozen different tribes of Baptists. If you think every Baptist thinks like you, you're mistaken. What we share in common is a mutual commitment to the inerrancy and the infallibility of God's Word and to the Great Commission of Jesus Christ. No one is asking any Southern Baptist to change their theology. I'm not asking you to agree with my church. I am asking you to act like a Southern Baptist who have historically agreed to disagree on dozens of doctrines in order to share a common mission. Since Southern Baptists have always allowed disagreement on doctrines, of, including the essential doctrines of salvation, why should this one issue cancel our fellowship? In 2013, when the Calvinists were under fire, Baptists agreed to disagree and the split was averted. Now, 10 years later, will we treat egalitarian Baptists with the same grace we showed the Calvinists? We should remove churches for all kinds of sexual sin, racial sin, financial sin, leadership sin, sins that harm the testimony of our convention. But the 1,928 churches with women on pastoral staff have not sinned. If doctrinal disagreements between Baptists are considered sin, we all get kicked out. You'll never get 100% of Baptists to agree 100% on 100% of doctrine. That's why our Constitution says that churches must closely identify, not completely identify, with our confession. Now, the Baptist faith and message is 4,032 words. Saddleback disagrees with one word. That's 99.9999999999 in agreement. Isn't that close enough? Al Mohler, who for some reason gets to speak twice and do the rebuttals, claims the phrase, the office of the pastor is limited to men, that that also includes every staff position too, and somehow it also prevents any woman from teaching. But I was able to contact about half over half of the original drafting committee of the Baptist Faith Message 2000, and seven of them told me Al was wrong. In fact, before the vote on the 2000 Baptist Faith and Message, even Al in his hometown newspaper said it didn't limit women from being assistant pastors. Go read it in the Courier Journal. If this precedent is set, Southern Seminary will have to change the name of the Billy Graham School since Billy Graham trained women pastors at our global training events and he endorsed the preaching ministry of his daughter saying Anne is the best preacher in, in the Graham family. Vote no. If this precedent is set, we'll have to rename our two. He reached his three minute time limit. Very sorry, but the time has expired. <laughs> Chair now recognizes the executive committee Credentials Committee for a response. 
Thank you, Mr. President. As the chairman of the executive committee, I would like to again recognize Dr. Albert Moeller as the representative of the executive committee to respond to the appeal. This is where Rick Warren got scared. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I just want to say that my position was there misrepresented, but nonetheless, it is important to state for the record that Albert Moeller does not say what the Baptist faith and message means. The Southern Baptist Convention says what the Baptist faith and message means and is quite competent to accomplish that task. In the year 2000, the words, the office of pastor is limited to men as qualified by scripture was inserted because 30 years ago, this issue threatened to tear this denomination apart. The definition of friendly cooperation came down to the fact that that was an issue that would endanger the cooperative cohesion and faithfulness of the church, of the Southern Baptist Convention. And in particular, we look to this issue because Southern Baptists decided this is not just a matter of church polity. It is not just a matter of hermeneutics. It's a matter of biblical commitment, a commitment to the scripture that unequivocally, we believe, limits the office of pastor to men. It is an issue of biblical authority. It is one that has actually led to the unity of the Southern Baptist Convention as Southern Baptists have gone forward with an issue of clarity here, which has greatly made our doctrine and order a matter of unity and harmony. It is the unity and harmony of the Southern Baptist Convention that is now at stake. And we're in an unusual situation. Once again, this is not a convention responsibility to offer a comprehensive verdict on the ministry of Rick Warren or Saddleback Community Church. We can thank God for every good gospel thing that is represented by that church and its ministry. It is a question about the Southern Baptist Convention and what it means for a church to be in friendly cooperation in doctrine and in order with this convention. And here we face the unusual situation in which Dr. Warren himself has made repeated statements and the church has taken repeated actions that make very clear that it rejects the confessional understanding of the Southern Baptist Convention on this issue. This isn't a question of misunderstanding. The Credentials Committee and the Executive Committee took action based upon the actions of Saddleback Community Church in establishing a woman as a campus pastor and having women with the title of pastor to teach in the teaching role on Sunday morning and then Pastor Warren going on to say more expansively that the church basically and he endorses and calls for a more comprehensive egalitarianism. I'm confident that's not where the Southern Baptist Convention is going to go. I believe that it is a statement without rancor and without personal attack, without making a comprehensive verdict on a congregation that is no longer among us. We simply say that our credentials committee and executive committee have done the right thing. We need to do that. All right. So the statement was made and... Um, the Southern Baptist Convention voted 88% to kick Rick Warren and Saddleback Community Church out of the Southern Baptist Convention, which basically means what we're saying is we are a complementarian denomination. We are a complementarian convention. And when a church comes to the table to plant churches, to send missionaries, we are complementarian. The kinds of churches that we're planting complementarian churches. 
Um, so it's not, and what he was saying, what Al Mohler was saying there is, it's not a statement about where uh, Rick Warren or anybody at Saddleback stands before Jesus. It's not a statement about on, on their eternal salvation or anything like that. Remember, what do we do? We put money together and we determine where the money is sent. What we're doing is saying, who do we want voicing opinions on where that money should go? And the Southern Baptist Convention is saying, definitively, we want complementarians doing that. We don't want egalitarians doing that. Okay? So he, here's the thing. Uh, uh, somebody brought this to my attention, uh, and I thought this was really helpful to just picture in your mind. Just show of hands, maybe, how many of you came to faith at age, let's say, 14 or below? Came to faith in Jesus Christ, baptized, whatever. That's a lot of hands. Keep them up, keep them up. How many of your mothers had nothing to do with that? Right? That's women in ministry, to their children especially, have a tremendous impact on our churches. You understand that? Mothers have a tremendous impact on our churches. The other part is, I bet, I, I haven't done the math just yet, but I, I, I bet more than half of our church is made up of women. And the scripture is abundantly clear. Women that can teach should use their ability to teach to teach other women. So if you can teach, and you are a, a woman, you can teach over half the church. This is a question not of limiting women. It's a question of God establishing His church, and what does He want pastoring the body as a whole? And, and it's, it's just as much as it's not a limitation on women, it's also a statement about men. Men and women are not the same. They are different. They have different natures about them. And I think if I, if I told you that in a home, there was one who was a strong disciplinarian and always you know, was there to correct the children, always roughhouse with the children, and I say, who was that? You would probably guess that it was the dad. I assume. Most likely because that's the nature of a dad. That's the nature of a man. That's what they do. And they've been given a unique task in families to lead. And when the families are gathered together, who is it that has been appointed to lead? God has said, it's men. That's what I created them for. So just as much as the world out there is denying the created order on the whole, and they're doing it to a terrible extent. It's happening in small in the church where we're actually beginning to deny that there is a distinction. And especially when it comes to who's teaching the congregation as, as a whole as the families are gathered together. And that's what we feel as a convention, that's what we feel as a church, and that's what we're, I'm, I'm unapologetic about. That we believe that God has created man and woman differently and given them different tasks. And he's not meant to demean anyone in that. Neither has he meant to demean me because I can't have children. Right? Because I can't birth children. That's not demeaning to me. It's a different function. It's a different purpose. And so we've stated that unequivocally. The other church was a church who's had a female pastor for 33 years. I know. Uh, we all said the same thing. And uh, they were voted out 92%-ish. Uh, there was uh, another church who was covering up some sex abuse that also got voted out 96%. 
Um, so, there you go. Uh, the third was the Mike Laws Amendment that came forward and was proposed, and that was affirmed in the positive. Uh, and so, uh, that was more than two-thirds of a vote. Now, here's the deal with that, though. When you amend the SBC Constitution, it's got to be done two consecutive years. Yeah. That's a good thing when it's against me. <laughs> when, it's, when it's for us, it's, it's the hard part. So that means Indianapolis is a lock. You gotta, I got to be there. And, you know, I don't know how many messengers we get, but if, you gotta, if you're going to be near Indianapolis at the time, you need to let me know so that we can make you a messenger and you can vote yes we got to get a two-thirds majority there, too. If we do get it there, then it's in the Constitution. And uh, beyond that, though, even if it's not, that would be better if it is, even if it's not, remember, Saddleback was removed based on the Baptist faith and message. So the Baptist faith and message still is a statement of faith, we've said. Okay, one more thing, real quick. Uh, the, the Baptist faith and message was also amended to actually in, include elder and overseer, which is part of the thing that we acknowledged here in our bylaws. Um, but it, it was amended, so you should see an updated version of Baptist Faith and Message coming pretty soon. Uh, now, here's the downside, all right? There was a, a I'm not going to play the video. I was going to play the video. I'm not going to. Uh, there was a motion made by former presidents who represent, remember I talked about that middle group? There's the egalitarians over here, which is a few people. There's the complementarians, which is the majority. There's this group in the middle that says, we're complementarian, but we are okay with the egalitarians saying where to spend the money. They have put forward a motion that a search a, a team of people, a task force, be appointed to go and investigate what is meant by um, by the phrase. Uh, what is the phrase? I lost it all of a sudden. See, that's what I mean. Why I write things on my hand? Uh, what did you say? What is it? Friendly, co Friendly cooperation. That's the phrase. What, what is meant by the phrase friendly cooperation? That's what the Baptist Faith and Message says. What is it meant by the phrase friendly cooperation? How far do they have to go to friendly cooperate with the Baptist Faith and Message before they are included? And so they, they've appointed that. That was approved. Again, it was the end of the day, and it was not, there wasn't much debate. People moved the question. So anyway, it ended up, I think, being largely confused, and it was former presidents that made the argument, which was that video. I'm not going to play it. Um, so... They made that recommendation. We're still waiting to see the ramifications of that. I'm still confident we're going to be okay. Um, I want to just right here at the end just say there's all the things that are issues with the SBC that we debate about and we go back and forth and we do at the convention hash out. There's also a host of positive things that come out of the convention that you will never read on CNN, Fox News, name the place. You'll never read it. That is, we sent 79 more missionaries from 44 churches to 33 countries. That was just the ones that were ready to go by the convention. There's still more in the pipeline that, are, that keep, keep coming. So those missionaries go out, and there's a, there's, a, there's a ceremony where they get up, and they're in front of a backlit screen. You can only see their silhouette. They only give their first names. They give the city where they're from, and they give, uh, they, they give a broad area of the world that they're going to because you can't know exactly where it is. And they're going at the risk of their life to these countries. And we're sending them out. We pray for them. We commission them to go. It's a fantastic ceremony. And we did that. Um, and there's a process before the convention called Crossover New Orleans, where seminary students from New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, many other 
uh, different entities and people within Southern Baptist Life all come together, provide medical and dental uh, care for the impoverished of New Orleans. They share the gospel with them. They do all kinds of outreach ministries. That was done. The gospel was shared. People came to Christ in that uh, process of just the convention being in that town. That's gonna, not going to be reported on CNN. All right, they're not going to tell you that. Uh, next, Bart Barber was elected to a second term at SBC president. I wish you could understand. I, there's gonna, you're going to read, if you search his name, you'll read a whole host of things. Okay, I know Bart, he's, he pastored in a town two miles from the town I came from, Farmersville. Pastor of a church of 300. I know many people in his church. He's a wonderful, godly person. He has a ranch in Merritt, Texas called No Merritt Ranch in Merritt, Texas. He has a bull named uh, Bully Graham. He has a cow named Lottie Moon. (laughs) That's the kind of guy he is, all right? He's, He's very peaceful. He's very charitable. He's very caring. You could sense that. It oozed from his pores as he's up there. He was voted overwhelmingly for another term as, as SBC president. That's a good thing, I think. The music that he brings along when he came, believe it or not, was so edifying. It was, I mean, it was like straight out of the songs that we sing. And we were just, there was nothing but that. You don't understand, I know, because you haven't been there, how, what a breath of fresh air that is when most people come in and it's all performance. They're like, stand up and sing. And then this person's going on like Mariah Carey for 15 minutes and you're like, I can't sing that. (laughs) I don't even know what you're singing, you know? So that was, it was unbelievable. It was very uplifting. Um, There were 12,737 registered messengers there, which is the second most since Atlanta in 1996. The first was last year in Nashville since 1996. So a lot of people coming to voice, um, you know, and considering 88% said we're complementarian, 92% said we're com- complementarian. It's a big deal. Yeah. Quickly, because I know I got to do this. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a, uh, on the whole, our culture, th- just think about it. If you teach in a church, and I'm talking about it even our church, the word submission, you just say it. Wow, there, there's a, you can sense the tension in the air just from the word. There's even now, I would say on pastor's parts, I can speak to this. I, I think even I could speak for many of my friends. There is a, a nervousness that comes with teaching on something like that. And you do it because you're not going to compromise. But you do have to kind of give yourself a little, little bit of a, like, okay, let's do it, you know? And, and, and yeah, and you do, and you have to, you go over your manuscript and you're, you, you think about it like, okay, I want to say these words and I don't want to say anything more than that. I don't want to go off, I want to say exactly this because it's carefully thought through and how I'm going to teach this. Because there is such a cultural sensitivity on it. You, the differences in gender is, is under attack right now. Oh, yeah. The differences in the sexes is, it has been under attack since the fall. Go back and look at the Garden of Eden and the punishment that's given to Eve. And he, he says, your desire is going to be for your husband and he will rule over you. And you look at that and you might go, oh, your desire. Oh, she's des- she desires her husband. 
That's not what that means. In this next chapter, he says to Cain, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, and you must rule over it. Sin doesn't look at Cain and go, oh, my husband, I just want to love him and care. No, sin wants to dominate you, and you must dominate it. He told the same thing to Eve in the previous chapter. Sin wants to dominate you, and you and, and your husband is going to dominate you. You want to dominate your husband, your husband's going to dominate That is the battle that we've been locked in since the fall. And so that's all we're seeing play out right here in front of us, right? And we should expect that we're going to see that in the churches too. And so there really is no middle ground. You can't really have a middle ground without compromising the integrity of Scripture and what God has actually established the sexes to do. They have complementary functions in our churches and in our society. And, and it won't be until we actually recover that and own it and actually are proud of it that God has actually designed us this way. We don't abuse it on one end. You can't do that. Can't Men, you can't domineer. No, you're serving, you're loving, you're dying. You're the, first, you're the point person in the family. When there's, bad, when there's a bad sound downstairs, you don't look at your wife and say, go check it out. <laughs> All right? You go. Now, you don't want to, <laughs> I know, and you might take some stuff with you, that's fine, all right, nothing says you can't do that, all right? <laughs> no, even then, you go, all right? You're the first one to die, okay? That's just the way it goes, okay? But you do it, and you, you're dying for your spouse. You're not domineering over them, all right? You're serving them, you're loving them, and you're caring for them. That's what you are as men. And it won't be until we recover that as a, as a church first before we can ever teach society to do that and help demonstrate the gospel to them. God has created sexes different. He meant them to serve different functions. And when they don't, guess what you got? Dysfunction. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the world that you created. And we celebrate, and we don't reject, we celebrate that. And we pray that we would understand your word better. We do want to be gracious toward others. We want to be gracious towards brothers and sisters who don't necessarily share all of our same opinions. We do. We also don't want to compromise your word. So we need your help to walk that line of both being gracious and doing everything we do in love, but also having backbones of steel. And, and not compromising on the word that you've given to us. Doing it in love and not compromising. Would you help us to walk that path, both as a church, which is what we are concerned for most of all, and as a convention, which we also want to do. So we pray for the Southern Baptist Convention. There is a lot at stake there. There's a lot of cultural influence, cultural voice. There's a lot of preaching and proclaiming that goes on through it. A lot of example setting that goes on through it. Yes, there is a lot of money involved that sends missionaries abroad, that, that trains pastors in seminaries. We pray that you would give us wisdom so that we can spend that rightly. That is a, a large responsibility that you've given to us, and, and we want to steward it well and wisely. We pray that you would lead us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you live in the Tuscaloosa area and are looking for a church, we'd love for you to visit. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10.30 and Wednesday nights at 6.15.